You're listening to Show Me Your Assets. I'm your host, Dottie Dynamo, burlesque dancer and stripper turned personal trainer. This show is about sexy work, fitness, money, and everything in between. You'll learn how to train smarter, navigate body image in an industry that centers your looks, manage your money, and prioritize self-care and recovery so you can avoid burning out over and over again. While I have your attention, you should know I have the tendency to cuss like a sailor. So if you're in mixed company, grab your headphones because there's no telling what I might say. Hello, my sexy friends. Welcome to episode 35 of Show Me Your Assets. I'm super excited about today's episode because not only is it the first interview that I'll be doing on the podcast, it is with my sister, Jessie Allison, who is a self-professed money nerd. She works in accounts payable and has always been the first person I turn to when I have a question about finances or getting myself out of some sort of money mistake that I have made. And as you listen to this episode, you will hear maybe more of the money mistakes that I've made that you weren't aware of. So let's go ahead and jump into the conversation, shall we? Hello, Seaster. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. I feel like we have been talking for a while about bringing you on the podcast so we can like nerd out about money together. Yes, I'm happy to be here. It's uh, nice to have a money nerd in the family with me. I feel like I'm on an island by myself. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. I feel like our family has uh, their fair share of money nerds, although they're more of our extended family. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I was never a money nerd. I was always really bad with my money, which I think you kind of knew. Although I thought <laughs> I was good with my money and a lot of my friends thought I was good with money because I had a spreadsheet that had a budget in it. <laughs> but I didn't have savings and I didn't have money in my IRA, but I had a good credit score. <laughs> so I was like, I'm great at money. And that's just like right, some of the myths right. that we're going to debunk today. That is so true. I mean, I've always been a money nerd. I don't know why. I was actually thinking like, you know, I think intrinsically, I just, I like to get the best deal possible. Like it's a game for me. What's how low can I go? But yes, that is true whatever you. I save, I don't always make good choices with the money that I've saved. Like I didn't like, okay. you know, I paid down some debt, but like I didn't like invest it or make like, you know, I would just, oh, I got this, you know, item on super clearance. Well, now I have $5 because I thought I was going to spend six. Well, oh, I'll just take this $5 and get a bottle of wine. Didn't really make a really good money decision there, did we? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I Right. That's part of the learning process, I think. So I'm going to start off with a question um, that is sort of the exact thing that I prompt everyone who goes through my money course, Master Your Cash Academy. The very first thing we talk about is like digging into your personal relationship money of with money and what you feel like you learned or didn't learn about money growing up. And I know my side of what I feel like I kind of gathered about money from growing up in our family. And I'm just curious what your side of that looks like. It, it's kind of hard. Um, you know, our childhood wasn't horrible by any means, but there are a lot of things I've blocked out of my memory. 
And I think that is um, that kind of goes towards I don't have a real recollection of any one thing, right, that made me want to always get the best deal, save money, cut coupons. I mean, mom was always really good at stretching a dollar, right? We would have leftovers. We cooked every day at home even though it wasn't the cool thing to do growing up. Like, I feel like our parents were the, uh, like, so granola. Like, they were still, they were so 70s, right? What everybody wants to be back to now is literally how we were raised. Like, you know, we recycled all the time and we ate at home all the time and we just, we didn't splurge on big items. Um, we wanted Cabbage Patch dolls. Mom made us Cabbage Patch dolls, you know, like we, and they didn't come from much. So that's what they learned. Um, and I guess, I don't know, I always just, that's how I looked at money. Like you should say that. And it is your security in life. Like if you have money um, saved in a savings account, even though, you know, it's only like a couple hundred dollars. If your car breaks down or you get, you know, a flat tire, you don't have to go get a loan because you have your $200 to fix your flat tire. And so for me, that was a kind of security I could give myself to not okay. have to rely on anybody else to come and rescue me because I rescued myself. Oh, uh, you know, the Jesse, I don't need you. I can do it myself routine. <laughs> So I'm always big on, um, I don't need you to help me. I can help myself, which is a downfall. Um, so yeah, I don't, there's, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I used to play accountant. Who does that? That is um, like, so, that is so, so random to, to interrupt you, rudely interrupt you there. That's very interesting because I remember as a kid, my favorite game to play was like cashier, cash register. I always wanted dad to buy me a cash register. Um, like I wanted to do, I want to just press the numbers. I wanted to do things with money and I was going to bring up, which I, I didn't yet that you do work in accounts payable. So you work in money as well. And did that give you an advantage? Do you feel like towards your like financial literacy or not? I mean, I think it did because I'm, I'm not scared of money, right? I'm not scared of the unknown, like even if you talk about investing or just online savings accounts or interest rates, like I'm not scared of those topics. So I don't shy away from them because I have to discuss those kinds of things at work. Like I'm always reading contracts that have to deal with money. I, you know, I have invoices. I have to write checks. I have to balance checkbooks. Like I do that all day long. So it already kind of comes second nature when I go home. So it's kind of an easier bridge for me to do. Does that make sense? It does. So what would you say to the person? Um, and this was me for a very long time. And I know this is a lot of the people that I work with who have that anxiety around those things because they don't understand them. They don't know what a high yield savings account is. They haven't really started investing or the idea of investing makes their eyeballs glaze over and just money conversations in general give them anxiety. Well, I think what we have to do, which is kind of the same thing with our mental health right now, is we have to talk about it. Money is a taboo topic in America. We don't talk about money with each other. We don't... Um, you know, kind of like when you're depressed, you don't tell someone you're depressed. It's something we hide. And I think that might be from our parents' generation or their, you know, our grandparents, because, you know, back in the depression, nobody wants to say how poor they were. But then when we make great money decisions, we also don't feel like we can share them with anyone. So if we can't share with each other what we're doing with our money, we 
always kind of close in, right, and go into our shell and we don't want to talk about it. Um, but what I would say is just you have to start somewhere and you're going to make a mistake. So it's fine to make mistakes. We do it all day long. We're human. But you have to start somewhere. And I think the biggest thing is like you got to have a goal. And it doesn't have to be, I'm going to be a millionaire because that, that's not reality. <laughs> Let's just get a goal. <laughs> like the goal could be, I want to save $200 in my savings account. So when something goes haywire, I don't lose my mind and can't sleep at night because I can just go take care of it. Like a small goal. And then once you meet that small goal, they kind of sometimes people call it um, snowballing. Okay, what's the next goal I want to do? Okay, now I want to start putting money into, you know, my future, which could be, it could be in a savings account. If, you, if you're scared of investing, that's okay. Until you start learning more things, reading blogs, reading books, you can put money in a savings account because it's your, what's your risk level, your tolerance for risk, right? Um, mm -hmm. I don't have a big tolerance for risk. <laughs> I, it's my money I worked really hard for and I don't want to give it to anybody. So I have things kind of diversified in lots of weird places that are some high risk. Um, I think my highest risk investment right now would probably be Verizon Wireless because they're crazy and they're like going all over the place. My lowest <laughs> risk is online savings account, which pays higher than your local bank. But you know, you got to know your risk level. And then once you kind of get into it, you know, it's going to take six months, it could take a year, it could take five years, you have to work at it. Then after five years of doing things and learning, then you can kind of start branching out. Okay, well, I feel a little better about putting money, you know, in an online account where I don't know if I can just go get it tomorrow, but I'm okay with that now because I have so much other savings in my bank down the street, right, that I can go grab. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. I love all of the things that you brought up, and I'm going to dissect them a little bit here. The first one is something that I really urge people to do and the people that I work with, right, before we start getting super worried about investing or feel like we should be investing, because obviously, yes, we should be. That is the fastest um, way to really compound your money over time mm -hmm. for retiring, but it's to focus on building up that emergency fund or your, oh, sh I yes. call it your, oh, shit fund, which is a smaller yes. savings account <laughs> for those things like, when I, when my van, that is my home, so it's very important that I keep it up to date maintenance wise, I needed a full brake replacement. Past me would have had to put down a credit card for that because I didn't have savings, but I have that oh shit fund now. And so I was able like, yes, I put down a credit card, but I was able to pay off that bill as soon as that statement showed up because I had that savings account. So yes, was I resistant to doing it because I was like, oh, that really sucks. Like I just, you know, like, yeah. I just hit the I road. Just and I just saved all that money. money. Right. <laughs> yes. But because I saved that money, I didn't have to worry about the fact that my van needed a full brake replacement. Like I was able to pay for it. So I really urge people to focus on that, like building up those savings first at emergency fund, because then when you have those moments, there's no hesitancy. Like again, right. You know, you can take care of yourself. It, exactly. And, and the more that you can save an emergency fund, the less you have to use that credit card and keep going back into that circle of debt, debt, debt. Yeah. Right. Which and it's going to take a while. Like circle. if you, if you have a lot of credit card debt, don't think that you're going to start budgeting and putting money in an um, emergency fund and it's miraculously going to disappear in six months. It took you a long time to get where you're at. It's going to take you a while to climb out. 
Yeah. But you have Such to you have to make thing. the step first. <laughs> you have to make that step first. So yeah, absolutely. Love me an emergency fund. I have a lot of them. <laughs> I have because that's have me as well. Yeah. <laughs> so w- speaking um, about credit cards. I know for myself, the biggest money mistake that I ever made was racking up endless credit card debt in college because I didn't understand how credit cards work. I didn't realize that it wasn't just like free money that I can use for things and I would buy myself left and right and I could not pay it off to the point where I just wasn't paying the bills and I was dodging bill collector phone calls until eventually they tracked me down through dad. Oh, um, yeah. The so, like, worst. I tell oh. people all the time. I tell people all the time, like, there's no shame in judgment when you work with me about money because I guarantee you whatever mistake you're making, I have, I have done, I have done it. Um, including like bill collectors tracking down my father when I was not even living in that state or living with at home with him anymore. So I'm curious for you, what was the biggest money mistake you ever made? I don't, I hate to say it, but I can't think of one. I mean, I feel like mine are a bunch of small mistakes that compounded, you know? So like using credit cards going, I think uh, when um, Lamar and I, my husband got married um, or before we got married, we started living together. You know, you, oh, I want to go buy this for the house and buy this for the house. And you put it on credit card. Oh, well, I'm just going to make the minimum payment. Well, that was just, and we could afford the things. I have no idea when we were putting it on credit. I don't, mm-hmm. because everybody was maybe, I have no idea. And again, no one's talking to each other about how they're affording what they're doing, right? I see you're getting these nice things. Well, I want these nice things too, but we're not talking to each other about how what terrible thing we're doing to ourselves. Um, so at one point, a year after we had got married, um, some crazy stuff went down and Lamar had co-signed for a friend for a Jaguar that we should have never done, but it was his best friend in the whole world. So of course he's going to co-sign for him. Um, and the guy in the car disappeared (laughs) and we ended, yeah. And we ended up owning a Jaguar, but we had no Jaguar. And I also was about to give birth to our son. So that was, I think the biggest wake up call of, Oh shit, what are we doing? Um, luckily we were able to, um, we had a report it stolen basically is what we had to do. And we had to pay, I don't remember what we, Lamar had to take money out of his 401k. Now he had a 401k and pension because he's worked at the same place for almost 30 years now. And so, you know, he was, they just signed you up back then and you just did it. Right. Um, so we had to take a loan against the 401k. Well, if you take a loan, you got to pay a 20% taxes on that. Um, and we also had about $12,000 of credit card debt so and a mortgage and two cars with car payments. Uh, so it was just like, and, and I think not, not yet, but uh, shortly after, about two years after all that. So that was kind of our aha moment. Like, what are we doing? We're, we're going to be living paycheck to paycheck the rest of our lives if we don't get our stuff together. And there's no reason we had good jobs you know, going out to eat when you had a refrigerator full of food. Why are, why are we doing these silly things? Um, Mm -hmm. So, so that was, it wasn't really, you know, one big mistake. It was a bunch of compounded, which I think most people, you know, most people don't say, Oh, I bought this car and it's a lemon. And that was just, it's a, it's a compound of bad habits. I think. 
Yes, I love that. A compound of bad habits because it's true. And I love what you mentioned too about you see everybody else has these nice things, but you don't know how you're getting them. I think this has been even more amplified when we talk about the about social media and how much we're all oh, on social it's media. You see people and you think, right, it's all this this idea of like keeping up with the Joneses. This like, mm-hmm. oh, these people have these things. So I assume they they must be really good with their money because they have this <laughs> nice house and they have this nice car and they have all these bags. And so we want what they want, but little do we know, they could be, right, $12,000 in debt, have a mortgage. They're just as in debt as we are. (laughs) Yeah, and we imagine in our minds, like, we we build these false stories that they are better than us, or they clearly know more than we do, and, like, we need to, like, meet where they are, and that's so not the truth. It's, you know, because we can't because no one talks about money because no one is very honest about their money situation because there's like shame, a lot of shame around money, which is definitely inherited from previous generations that it's hard to not see other people in these, like what we deem like better socioeconomic statuses and not believe that they must just be better off than us. Exactly. And I think the other thing is not only is there shame about the money, But then, so we're on the flip side now. We've made some really great financial decisions. We paid off our house. We don't have any debt. But it's really hard to share that with your friends because you don't want them to think, I'm not judging you and what your money decisions are. I'm just really happy about what I've done and I'd love to show you how if you're interested. But a lot of people come with their defenses up when you want to talk positive about money because they think you're judging how they're spending their money. Yeah. So it, it it's a flip. It's a really hard again, just I think you can mimic, you know, mental health. If someone just seems so happy, you don't want to be, you know, you'd assume that they think bad of you because you're feeling down. It's we we have really bad communication skills. Um, but yeah, so back to what you were saying about we think, you know, all these people have these great things, you know. Our son always oh, I wanna be a millionaire, I wanna be rich, and I always tell people. You can be a millionaire and be broke because if you made a million dollars and you spent a million one dollars, you are officially in the hole. So it's about what you're spending too. It's not about what you're making. But yeah, keeping up with the Joneses is a really bad, bad habit that we all have. It is. It's, it definitely really comes down to, again, like understanding what's important to you about money. What are the things that you enjoy spending money on? And like you said, it's not how much you're making. It's how much you're spending. That's what really matters. So I know you brought up the example, like you guys would go out to eat all the time, but you had a refrigerator mm-hmm. full of groceries. So if you know that one of the things you enjoy is like going out to eat and being around friends or your family and sharing food that way, then maybe you don't go to the grocery store and spend $300 on groceries that are just going to go bad because that is not spending in alignment with how you value money. Exactly. Exactly. I don't, it's, it's a very strange thing. The old grocery store, you know, we all go and fill up our baskets (laughs) with all of these goods and then we all take them home and let them rot in our refrigerator. I don't know if we all have the intention of cooking all these meals or is this what we think we're supposed to do is have all this food because tomorrow the world could end and we need all this food in our refrigerator. You know, like when you're going to get a snowstorm, why didn't everybody come out of the woodwork to get bread and milk? Like, what are we doing here, people? <laughs> it, it, it's all, it's a very odd, odd thing, but yeah. Um, 
Yeah, definitely the groceries. You have to kind of budget in what your life is going to be. And if that means you, I'm a menu planner. Doesn't mean we're going to eat that on that day. I just kind of try to go and buy meals for five days of meals. Well, if you know Mm -hmm. that on Thursday night, you always go hang out with your girls and get margaritas, then you only need to plan for probably three days because you're going to go out the fourth and you're going to have leftovers for the fifth. (laughs) Yes. I love that. That's such a good, like it's such a really good, accurate representation of how to think about your money. So let's just take that in the segue and talk about budgeting, because obviously what we're talking about right now is looking at your money, knowing your lifestyle, knowing how you spend money. And that comes into starting to build your first budget or what I like to call and how we reference it inside Master Cash Academy, a spending plan, because essentially a budget is just a plan for where your money is going to go. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, budgeting, got to do that. Yes. Yes. Oh, um, sorry. You were like you're a bit, no, you're fine. I feel like you're a bit of a budgeting guru. I feel like anything I learned about budgeting, I most likely learned from you, especially spreadsheets, um, which I am now a total spreadsheet dork. But what would you give as some basic guidance for getting started on making spending plans, building a budget? Well, let's just start with, you don't have to use a spreadsheet. You don't need Excel, Google Sheets, whatever Apple has. All you need is a pen and a paper. (laughs) That's really all you need. If you choose to use apps, that's great. But I feel like sometimes it just kind of, it feels more like a chore if you have to do, or schoolwork, right? I got to get on this you know, spreadsheet and put it in. So I think to start, you know, if you're not a spreadsheet person, get your pen and paper. And the first thing you really need to do is list out like, what are your non-variable expenses? So what that means is what is your housing expense? Like, are you paying rent? Is it your mortgage? What's your electricity bill? What's your cell phone bill? Are you, do you got Netflix? Like all of those things that you have to spend to live. And then you start in you know, so then you get all that total and you can see really how much it's costing you to just exist, really, right? Because mm-hmm. we're not even to food yes. yet. We're not to food. We're just to existing. No. <laughs> and then and then your food and gas and um you know, haircut money, um I'm trying to think what else we would spend money nails, on. Nails, getting your nails done. I know that's really get your nails done. Or some random thing that you always forget to budget for. I have a nice little other line. Um we call those your variable expenses because they vary. They vary month to month. They vary week to week. So then you want to start tracking that. And again, don't try to change your habits now. You need to look at what your real habits are. Um, so, you know, write down what you're spending. You know, you're okay. I went to, I'm, go, I'm going to get a haircut this month. That's $40. You know, I got to put gas in the car. I usually fill it up twice, three times. I put about 40 bucks in it each time and just list it out and do that for a couple months. Um, Cause there'll be those things that kind of fall every other month or annually. Yes. Stinking license. Mm-hmm. The plate. annual ones <sighs> are hard, <laughs> you know, and, and just start writing them down and start tracking where your money goes. Um, but as I said before, if you don't have a plan for when you decide to start saving and cutting, what you're going to do with those savings, you're really not going to get anywhere. You got to have a goal. And like you said, that goal yeah. should really be an emergency fund. <laughs> so 
Some people say eight-month emergency fund. I think three months is probably good enough because um, I don't know. If I got laid off, I'm probably not going to go get my nails and my hair done. I'm going to be, you know, like there's things you know you're going to be cutting from your budget. Netflix, probably yeah. got to go. Uh, so, on that, so that could so be bare bones. About emergency funds and how much to save. I know that you, right, you get a steady paycheck. You know exactly how much you have coming in, I don't know, either biweekly or monthly. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Mm -hmm. my industry, it is literally a game of averages. Like you don't know if you're going to leave work with $50 or like $1,500. You never really know. So for that instance, people that are making a cash income or are in a variable income industry like myself or service industry, bartending, that sort of thing, I really recommend like six months because you don't know what your income really is. Like, yes, you can cut your budget some, but when you start working again, if you find another job, you start working in another club, again, your income is variable. You never can really bank on how much you're going to be bringing in. So I just want to like add that as a caveat. You can bank on how much you're going to spend though. Like if you get that budget and you know what you're spending, really an emergency fund should be only what your expenses are. Because if you're making $1,200 a month and you're only spending a thousand, why do you need to save that much money? If I'm only going to spend a thousand dollars, I only really need to make a thousand dollars, right? That's really all I need. Um, So that's kind of where I, yeah, that's how I use an emergency fund. I use it only for the actual expenses I would need if I lost my job. Obviously, if I lost my job, I'm not going to be investing. (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking of the instance, right? If we bring back up um, the panoramic, uh, in my industry, people were like, the club that was my home club in Brooklyn was closed for an entire year. An entire year. So like, yes, having an emergency fund of three months is great, but was that going to carry me through? Could I have picked up extra work here and there? And I did, but it was never going to equal the amount of money I was making before. So even though I could cut my expenses back a lot, a three-month emergency fund for me wasn't going to stretch a year. So I guess that's sort of more my point in that area. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. But what would you say then, right? Budgeting is, it can feel... It can feel weird to some people. It can feel restrictive to some people. So what would you say is like the one thing that really keeps people from being able to stick to a budget? I think the restrictiveness. Um, I think people, when they start, myself included, oh, totally myself. Let's just say myself. I'm giving you an example. This happened last week. So we got our budget. You know, I honestly, last year, 2022 was the first time I ever did an annual budget. I've never done that. I just did it every single month. And I never put it all together to see how much we were spending in all categories for the whole year. Like I said, it's a learning process. You know, I've been a money nerd my whole life and I still never realized these things. Um, So we're doing our annual and I said, okay, you know, we're going to start cutting down and really sticking to this budget. We're going to just stick to this budget. And we had, I don't know, this probably sounds, this is how you know how frugal your sister really is. <laughs> anyway, I think our grocery budget was $115 for the week. Now, mind you, I have a husband who works out and can bunch press 350 pounds. I have a teenage son who swims on the swim team <laughs> and works out. And I'm going to do it for $115. So also, you know, I'm in the cabinet. I'm getting things out of the cabinet in the freezer. Like, how can we make meals stretch? 
So we only spent $90. So what did I do? Because I felt so restricted on that 115 is I went and spent that $25 and went and got some alcohol. Now, that was not what the plan was supposed to be. It was supposed to be to save the money. So you really have to put, and this we did this this year, is we put a fun money line item. You ha- you cannot make it that restrictive because that's what's going to happen just like with the diet, right? You restrict yourself, you yes. restrict yourself, and you're like, screw this, I'm eating all the cookies. You can't exactly. do it. You, you just can't. So you've got to have a little bit of, of cushion in that budget once you figure out what you're spending and where. Um, so like, for instance, maybe for someone who likes to go out and get coffee with their friends, they could have taken that 25 bucks and went and had coffee with their friends. And that would have been awesome because you got all your groceries and you could still go see your friends, right? So you got to have some fun money because all work and no play is not good. You can't be so restrictive. You got to definitely put a little cushion in there. Um, and maybe mm-hmm. the cushion is, oh, you know what? This week I'm going to buy my favorite gluten-free bread that costs $6 a loaf because I really want to treat myself. So yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to treat myself. So you got you got to be able to do that. You have to have a little bit of cushion in there or you're just going to you're just going to give up. You are. I you're think. ultimately going to end up overspending and then feel mm-hmm. bad and feel like, oh, you just can't stick to a budget. That's the problem. But it, mm-hmm. it's actually that you aren't planning for the fact that you're human and life is hard and you're going to want to go do fun things to counteract the fact that life is hard and stressful. And also yep. that part of having money is being able to enjoy it. And exactly. so how do you like to enjoy your money? What um, does dad always say that recipes are? There are guidelines. Oh what does he say? He always says something about a recipe. Like it's not meant to be followed exactly. It's just a guideline. And you know what? That's really what your budget is. You know, you want to be, yes, I only want to spend $100 on gas this month. But you know what? If you spend 110 so what? Like next yeah. month or in a different line item, just take that $10 back. Because if you're just too restrictive, you're right, you're going to give up and you're going to quit and you're going to go back into that cycle of using the credit cards again. And you're never going to get out of that cycle. Mm-hmm. So, And it can be a hard cycle to escape. Let's uh, dive mm-hmm. a little bit now into, into thinking about saving past emergency funds and more on to long-term savings like investing or retirement. And I know that you do something called FIRE. Can you tell me more about FIRE, what it is, how it works? So I've stumbled onto um, MrMoneyMustache.com. He is like the awesomest. He's um, kind of, he's a huge proponent of the FIRE movement. The FIRE movement has been around for quite a while now. Um, But what it stands for is Financial Independence retire early. Now the retire is not your grandparents retire. It's retiring from that nine to five clock in clock out and go be able to use your time the way you want to use your time. However that is, Mm -hmm. right? If you want to do blogs, that's great. If you want to go hike in the woods, which is what I want to do, then that's what you go do or lay on the beach. (laughs) But (laughs) so the whole purpose is to reduce your expenses Um, And then take all of the money that you have saved from reducing your expenses, which I'm struggling with, and then investing that 
And so the the idea behind it, there's a calculation, is that once you know your budget and you know how much money you spend every month, then you can figure out what you spend every year. Now, this spending does not include savings, right? This is just actual to-live spending. So mm-hmm. I think um, I think our to-live spending last year was about $33,000. Um, and of course, that includes a child and all of his um, expenses, but he's high school, so it's not a lot of expenses. So you take yeah. that amount times 25. So 33,000 times the 25, that gets us $825,000. So the premises is the, the belief that there is, this is a fact actuality, that if we, when we get to $825,000 in our investment, we mm-hmm. should be able to retire. And the reasoning is because there is this thing called the safe withdrawal rate. It's called the 4% okay. rule. And you can pro- you, you might have heard this, you know, when you're talking about in, uh, investing in your 401k, but it's called the 4% rule. And that is supposed to be the safe percentage to withdraw back out of your 401k or IRAs when you're ready to retire and still have that principal, okay? So you're not pulling down the principal because on average, what do they say that before this year? The stock market increases about, what, 7 to 8% year over year? Yeah, so if my my investments are creating 7% and I'm only drawing down 4 right? That leaves 3% of in a compounding investment. So that 825 hypothetically should last us through the rest of our retirement life is what the, is what the premises is. So the, the big way that a lot of people get to fire, uh, the quickest way to reduce your expenses so you can invest more is A, to pay off your mortgage and B, to um, pay off your cars or reduce your transportation. So they say those are the two big spending categories everybody has. Um, So if you can reduce those down to almost zero or as small as possible, and then take that difference and invest it. And I've been doing a lot of reading lately. Um, There's a book called, I think it's called On Fire. Um, And I've been learning a lot about indexed funds indexing funds. Okay. Um, I yeah. haven't really heard a lot about this and it was one of those things that was scary to me and I didn't understand. So I didn't pay attention. So a lot of the fire movement actually just invests in indexing funds. And what an yeah. indexing fund does is that it actually holds um, shares of like the entire stock market. So you're not trying to pick a stock and hope it does good, right? You're not trying to figure it out on your own. This indexing fund, there's different kinds for different sectors. There's like a tech sector. There's a gold. I think you can get precious metals. Um, and it just purchases a bucket of all of these companies. And so you own a little bit of all of them. And so you don't have to play the stock market. And there's supposed to be a lot better um, return, I think maybe an 8 to 10% return. Obviously not right now. <laughs> Things are a little crazy, but we know <laughs> that the stock market is cyclical and it will go up and come back down, but it is going up and yes. to the right over time. So, so, yeah, so that's basically the premise of FIRE is reduce your daily expenses or, you know, your expenses daily, weekly, monthly. Um, 
and take that difference and invest it into indexing funds, which will give us your your fastest returns. And then once you hit your FIRE number, your 25 times your annual expenses, you should be able Mm -hmm. to retire and never have to work a day in your life unless you want to. Now, all of that. that does not even bring in your Social Security. So then if you can claim Social Security and get them, yes, it might be a little bit, but hey, if you're a real money nerd, you'll take anything, right? <laughs> Any money counts. So then, you know, at whatever age, you can start claiming Social Security. Um, and a lot of Another people caveat. I've heard. Mm-hmm. I just want to just to interrupt you really quick. Another caveat to that for people, again, in my industry, yes, you where don't get Social all Security under the table. Mm-hmm. No, you do. You are going to oh. get Social Security, but only if you're paying your taxes because you are paying your own Social Security through self-employment taxes. So Correct. if you are thinking you are getting one over on the man by not paying your you're taxes, not. I'm going to tell you right now, you're actually just <laughs> screwing yourself because you are not paying into Social Security, which exactly. is how you're going to get your Social Security. And also, then you are not going to be putting money most likely into these accounts because if you are not paying your taxes likely because you're hoarding your cash at home. So we need to get out of that mindset as well. Um, again, I know you're talking about indexed funds. I know that that's most of what I have my IRA in and mm-hmm. something that I recommend. So I'm curious how you think about this. Something I recommend to people who are just getting started on investing, maybe just open their IRA and they have no idea where to start. There are funds called target date funds where you, based on when you think you plan on retire, you can usually find a fund that's like 2050 or 2060 and Mm -hmm. you can start investing in that fund and the risk of that fund is literally based on how long you have until retirement. Correct. Yeah, because it's a mix of stocks and bonds. And so you have, so let's say it's a 2040, right? We'll say target date 2040. So um, since it's so far off, you're going to have more stocks and less bonds. And then the closer you get to your retirement to 2040, the bond goes up and the stocks go down because bonds have a lower risk of loss. So that's, yeah, target date funds. Yeah, those are good. Um, My thing is, though, what I've learned is if you have target date funds and you think you're really smart because you got one that's a 2030 and a 2035 and a 2040, you're not doing anything. Like, it would make more sense to put all of, pick one and put it all in there because you're, yes. You're not really helping yourself. Um, And that's kind of what I've learned with these indexing funds. I was looking at some and they own, Amazon and Microsoft and Chevron. And I'm like, but I already have all of those stocks. So I decided that I was going to sell all my individual and put them into the indexing fund because that would be a, you get a broader array, right? Which reduces your risk of dropping yeah. so much. So, um, and then another thing I really, which I think we were talking about when you were here in the spring, I really, really like is dividend paying funds. Um, dividend yes, paying all stocks. About dividends. Love me some dividends. So basically, so like oil companies, that's the easiest one to think of. They pay you a dividend for owning their stock. So I think they're mostly they're quarterly. So and inside of your 401k or your IRA, either one, there's um, usually it's the IRA, your personal that you do yourself. It's called DRIP. Oh, I don't remember what it stands for, but basically it reinvests. Oh, dividend reinvestment plan. There we go. Yeah. 
So, so let's say that I have Chevron stock and stock's $150 and this quarter I make $25 in Chevron stock. Now, 20 or dividend, $25 is not enough to buy a share, but since I'm reinvesting, it will actually buy a quarter of a share or, you know, a 16th of a share because I'm reinvesting it into that stock. So that's great because you're buying more stock. You're not buying it, right? They're giving you the money. You don't even see it. It just reinvests itself. Then when you become to where you want to retire or you need some money, say something's happening, you can stop that drip and you can actually take that money. It will deposit it into your account and you can take a withdrawal and you can spend that money however you need to. You have to pay taxes on, obviously, but it's it's something they call... I think it's called closing the gap. So okay. let's say that you've done all your vesting, you've done all your numbers, and you're still $500 shy every month. Well, if you have dividend pays that you're going to get $500 a month in dividends, you turn that drip off and you start taking those dividends to help close the gap that you would have had for your spending in retirement. A lot of people do that if they if they want to like travel right? They want to have a, a more lucrative a extra. retirement. <laughs> yeah, a more lucrative retirement. So yeah, I love I love me some dividends. <laughs> Give I me that. I want my money to work harder than I do. <laughs> what did oh, you say Lamar said? Great. Yes. <laughs> I, oh, so your husband um, has, <laughs> likes to say that you can make a penny sweat. <laughs> That's right. I'll make it sweat. Yeah. I'll make it work for me. That's right. And I will yes. pick it up off the ground. So if you see me stooped over in the middle of the street, yes, I am probably picking up a penny. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to go ahead and kind of wrap this up. Nice, nice little bow on this conversation. If there is like one final word of wisdom or anything that you could give to someone being as we have both made a lot of money mistakes and someone maybe who's just sort of starting out, what would that be? Um, I uh, actually had this conversation with Lamar's uncle who decided to retire. And the only thing he kept worrying about is how much money he was getting out of his retirement account, but had no idea how much he needed to live on. So my biggest advice is you've got to learn how much it costs you to live right now. We're calling that budgeting, but really the first step is to know how much you need to live. What am I spending, right? Or spending plan. Then I can start cutting back in areas that I'm like, whew, I didn't know my nails cost $60 every two weeks. What am I doing? So I, you've got to, you've got to track your expenses. You've got to track what you're spending or you're never going to get anywhere. Yes, I love that. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and having this chat with me. It's It's been really nice. I definitely think that we should do this again. And I'm looking forward to the next time that happens. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, anytime. Love to chit chat with my baby sister. Wow, what an amazing conversation with my sister. I hope you got as much out of that as we did, I'm sure. We have conversations like this frequently. This is not anything new to our sisterly dynamic. And I really plan, I really hope that she'll come back on the episode and we can do some more in-depth things on different topics. 
If that is something you would be interested in, you can leave a voice memo through the Anchor app for the podcast and let me know what types of things you might want to hear us talk about. I would link to her socials, but she's old and is incognito, so there's nothing there. But if you have been listening to the episodes, if you're finding them helpful, I would love if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating, a five-star review, anything to get the podcast noticed more so that more people can find it and follow along. That's all. Have a great day. Stay sexy. Make money.